Welcome, folks, to the Andy Social Podcast. My name is Andy Dowling, and I'm recording this intro from my hotel room in Bangkok, Thailand. What am I doing here? Well, that's probably for another time, <laughs> but I've been gallivanting around the place over the last week and a half. I've been in Japan uh, for several days, and I went home back to Sydney in the south coast for about a day and a half, or just under two days, and then I was back on a plane over here to Thailand, and I'm here for a few days uh, doing my thing. So I thought I'd make the most of some of my downtime and record some podcast intros. So here we are. Have you ever looked in your wardrobe and just thought, shit, I've just got nothing to wear? Like everything that I own is just crap and it looks crap on me and I just don't know what to do and I'm just going to stay at home. There's no point going out. Well, I have the solution for you. You can go to andysocial.net and go and buy an Andy Social t-shirt. Oh, I know, guys, this hurts me even pitching it this way. But you can go to andysocial.net and go and check it all out. Uh, there's t-shirts, there's USB passes, and I'm going to have a whole range of other merchandise being put up in the months to come. So help me clear out this stock and then I'll get some more stuff in ASAP. Andysocial.net, go over there and support the podcast. Now, you guys probably already know, but I also play bass in the Australian metal band Lord. And if you love a bit of old school 80s heavy metal, you can go to lord.net.au. We've got a brand new website up that's got all of our social media links, uh, stuff to Spotify. All of our albums are on there as well. So you can click on every single release. And then that's directly linked to Spotify where you can add them to your playlists and favorite and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's really, really easy to discover our music there. And I think all the videos are integrated. Tinder did such a good job at this website. You've got to check it out. It's really, really good. It's next level for us. A massive improvement over the old website. So that's lord.net.net. That's lord.net.au. Go and check that out. In addition to playing in a metal band, I also host the Self Starter Podcast, which is all about small business, self-employment, and freelancing. So if that's something of interest to you, you can go to selfstarter.com.au. And I'm always open for new guests. So if you guys own your own business or you earn a bit of money on the side or um, you know somebody that's running a really, really cool small business, let me know because I would love to have them highlighted on that podcast. I'm always looking for new people from any corner of this big country of ours in Australia. So selfstarter.com.au to go and check all of that out. Now, this week's shout-out for people that are new to the podcast, each and every week I do a shout-out to somebody that supports the podcast, does something to um, support me or the band or whatever it might be, and it can be something as simple as liking and sharing and tagging and all that social media stuff online. Um, it could be buying a T-shirt. It could be sharing me a beer via the andysocial.net PayPal button. It could be anything. It doesn't matter. Small, big, uh, it all goes a long way into or towards supporting what I do um, on all of my various ventures out there. So this week's shout out is for Dan Southall. Dan Southie, I've known for years, uh, lives in Brisbane, and Dan's been a real advocate for what I do, and he's always leaving messages of encouragement. He's retweeting, liking stuff on uh, Twitter and, and on Facebook and commenting and just a uh, really, really sort of uh, a lot of encouragement and a lot of positivity coming from Dan. So thanks so much, Southie. I really appreciate the support. It's been years since I've seen you and actually had a beer with you. So we'll have to make that happen sometime soon. But uh, please shoot me a message um, and I'm going to flick something out to you in the post. I don't know what it is, uh, but I've got some new random bits of crap lying around. So I'm going to send something out to you. So thank you so much, Dan. Really appreciate the support. This week's episode is with Simone Dow. Now, if you don't know who Simone is, Simone is the guitarist in Voyager. And if you don't know who Voyager is, shame on you. Great band from Perth. And I've had Danny and Alex from the band on the podcast previously. So you can go and check out those episodes. And I think actually this is probably the 
the only band where I've had that many band members from the one band on the Antisocial podcast so far. So it wasn't intentional, but Simone specifically I've had on my list since day dot. And um, I've known Simone for years, great friend, and I really wanted to do it over beers in person because it's always just great fun sitting down and having a chat and just shooting the shit. But um, every time we saw each other, it was always too hectic, a bit chaotic, and there was always stuff going on. We just couldn't sit down and carve out some time. So I thought, stuff it, let's do a phone one. We'll shoot the shit for about an hour or so, and then at a later date, we'll catch up in person and we'll do a round two. So uh, it was really cool to catch up with Simone. Um, they're about to go on tour at the beginning of July. They're doing a whole range of dates in the UK, Japan, US, and Mexico. Um, they're he- headlining Prog Power USA on the first night of uh, of the festival. They're playing Bloodstock Open Air. They're playing UK Tech Fest. Uh, they're just some really, really insane dates. So all those dates, if you're curious and you're in those uh, parts of the world, are over at voyager-australia.com. You can follow Simone on Instagram by searching at Voyager Guitar Freak or Twitter at Voyager Sim. And as always, I'll have everything over in the show notes. So if you're too lazy to write things down or try and remember things, you can just click on uh, the show notes over at andysocial.net. I'll have everything dumped in there about Voyager, about Simone, and everything we discuss in this episode. But enough of me. Thank you so much for listening. I am staring at the window. I'm getting heavily distracted by all the chaos going on outside here in Bangkok. So I'm going to go back to doing that. But So enjoy this episode with Simone Dow of Voyager. Yo. Yo. Good afternoon. <laughs> we made it. We made it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been hanging out for so long going, we need to do it over beers because I remember when I first had this idea and I think it was before uh, you guys were about to go and play Prog Power the last time. And yeah. we we're gonna we we're gonna do it over beers, and then it didn't happen in the US. And then I just kept thinking, we'll try and make it happen, try and make it happen. And I thought, nah, fuck it, I just got to give you a call, and we'll just do this, and then we'll do another one later on. There was no way it was ever gonna happen at Prog Power. <laughs> <laughs> we were just fucking trashed the whole time. <laughs> I mean, we were ima- either playing ima- music or trashed or getting uh, creeper shufflers following us everywhere so oh, yeah. well ima- imagine documenting that actually I, was, I could do that this this year that's right going, you're a sucker for punishment you're going back for more oh fuck oh look you know you take the good with the bad absolutely i mean life could be a lot worse exactly exactly i mean and it's it's a fucking awesome festival like it's good fun. There's a lot of good people there. Get treated like royalty by the promoters. Um, I, I can handle some crazy people in amongst that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it comes with the territory everywhere. Like you can't get away from any any kids. There's always like someone there that's a bit fucking. How's it going? <laughs> it comes with the territory, unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I can, like I'm preaching to the choir here, like you know. But I mean, you guys with Prog Power now, you're pretty much like the 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 classroom favourites now. I think you guys are getting held in high regard, and you're headlining this year. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be freaking rad. And we've got to um, we're like trying to plan things to to obviously make it. Um, a bit special, um, hoping to obviously have some pretty awesome visuals. We'll be trying to do that a lot more at gigs. 
Um, we used like a projector when we did the festivals over in uh, Europe last year, and it looked sick. Like we had the Ash made like some crazy uh, video that was just like a mock up of footage from the video clips and the artwork, and it just looked so pro. <laughs> I mean, it's just this, it's crazy, just the little things that can make such a difference. It's all gone um, next level. Yeah, well, you know, you want it to look good. Maybe, maybe put a big banner or something. Because um, uh, we were using the pull-up banners for a while, and they're just, they're just such a nightmare to take on tour. So, like, in the most awkward bag ever, and the straps and everything are all broken on them because it's just been so abused in the last <laughs> five years of touring, and no one wants to carry it. Like, we always kind of try and squeeze it on carry-on. As you do, like you try and squeeze as much carry on as you can without the hands noticing. So, but no one wants to carry them because they're so awkward. And then no one wants to pack them down because they're so awkward. <laughs> <laughs> it's like who draws the short straw? Oh, it was funny because Aiden, our sound guy, was like, I had a dream that I just like. Through, like, I made it rain with money to you guys so I could set them on fire. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, if you want to pay us to set them on fire, I have no problem with that. <laughs> as long as I've got a new banner by that time. <laughs> oh, but I mean, I mean it, it's amazing what those little things have done, though, because, I mean, you guys have been using those banners for a while, and there's still, I mean... I guess the metalcore scene have been using them for quite a while, um, but yeah. but the but the rest of us have all been a little bit slow on the uptake, and I think we've all relied on. Well, I was going to say we've all been relying on the old school vinyl banners or something like that, but even even most of the metal bands don't even bother with that; they just rock up and go, "Oh, that, no. that'll do." Well, a, a lot of bands don't have any, um, you know, any banners or any marketing, and the thing is. It's important to be visually captivating as much as it is, um, you know, the music is good. So I think a lot of bands probably need to maybe pull their finger out and actually think about those things a bit more. Um, you know, just uh, one all looking like you should be standing on a stage together for one. The amount of bands I see where there's like an identity crisis going on between all five members of the band. <laughs> You're just going... <laughs> Man, like it sounds really vain and stupid, but it's really fucking important, man. Like you gotta, we've got to make sense, you know. And then obviously banners and lights, and I mean, even just an awesome lighting show, you know, spending the money and actually getting a decent lighting guy, it makes such a huge difference. Um, you know, I wish sometimes, you know, you begrudgingly think about it and go, man, I wish we had like thousands of dollars to play with so we could make it look, you know, like that every time, but it's just touring Australia, man. <laughs> oh, that's it. Especially it's just a nightmare. And especially being on the other side of the country for you guys as well. I mean, it's even it's even harder. I mean, you can't just go, ah, oh, stuff it, we'll just do a weekend and uh, get out of the yeah. and or go up to Brizzy or Sydney or whatever and just do a qu- couple of quick shows. And, and that's exactly. it. It's a, it's a bit of an endeavour that you guys have to actually pre-plan and, and budget and, and all that sort of stuff. Well, man, man, it ends up when you – look, I can understand why a lot of bands, like international kind of bands that are like slightly bigger than we are, so they're kind of in that in-between phase, 
I can understand why they don't want to like play the whole of Australia because it's nearly more expensive than you know packing up and going over to the states or or Europe. It actually works out nearly almost cheaper because you know at least you can you play a whole bunch of shows and sell merch and you can't really do that in Australia unless you're big. You know, play the rural shows. Otherwise, it's just not worth it. Like going out there and playing to ten people. It's <laughs> like when you fly, you hire a car and everything. It's, it's just, just crazy. a nightmare. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's just people don't understand that. You know, I talk to the guys like like I get a lot of fans like chatting to me um, on online, like on Facebook and stuff. And you know, when you start to say that stuff to them, they're just like, holy shit, man! Like we. You just don't think about those things as a punter, like that you've got to, um, you know, think about all the excess baggage and all that other stuff. And it's like, yeah, it, it all mounts up and then you've got to try and do it on the cheap and, you know, and cull something like what's more important, sound or lights on this tour? <laughs> but it, it's, it's, Replace it's, with the coin. Oh, that's it. And, but it's also deceiving as well because, I mean, when you realise, I mean, even for us, we've toyed with bringing a sound guy and we just go, no, nah, it's too expensive, too expensive. But, I mean, in the end, when you sort of weigh everything up, it's probably not that much more expensive anyway with no. all of the other compromises that you have to make with not having a sound guy. It's probably just better to And I think having a sound it. guy... Yeah, I mean, having a sound guy, like, the difference is just to have someone that knows what you need to sound like, knows what you need on stage, you know, and it's just like, it's like having another member, like, and it was the same when we actually took our lighting guy, Dean, with us as well, I mean, it's like, fuck, it's expensive to take this crew with you, but god damn, when you look at, like, videos and and listen to them as well, and you're just like, Visually and sound wise, it just it just takes it to the next level, makes it like it look very professional, and you know, and that changes people's perspective and uh, perception on on the band as well. You know, like if it looks professional, it sounds professional. Um, you know, you, you stop being looked at as being like, oh, you're just one of the local you know pub bands, um, and that's kind of what you want to get away from after a while. Is, you know, you want you want to step up and and be more like a professional band. So you need to do those things to to, to take it to the next level. So it's it's really, I mean, I'm, and I won't insult you guys about your music because clearly the music's doing all the talking. But I think it's those little things, it's those things that make you guys sort of step up and out out of everybody else where it's these little one percent extras it's the things of investing a little bit more in you know a sound guy a lighting guy you know your your the aesthetics of the band and the visual aspect is is something that's definitely making a point of difference and just the way that you guys put a lot of effort into your stage show and i think that's you know musically yes and you guys have evolved and progressed dramatically over the years but um i think a lot of that other stuff has been a real sort of a real difference maker. Well, I think playing that many shows um, together as well, it, it definitely, you, you kind of get a bit of a uh, rapport on stage with one another. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, we've managed to keep the same lineup for the last two albums, so that's always... That helps. 
It, it does, yeah. I mean, like, I think I think that the last two albums were the first time we've actually had that happen, where it's the same lineup. Um, because, I mean, Ash joined. Mark Boyne still recorded the drums and everything, mm. um, but then he left the band not long after that because starting a family. Um, but it, it feels great, you know, like when you've got five people in the same room and, um, you, you know, and you're just feeding off of one another and you kind of like, you watch videos back live and you're like, man, I don't even, like, we didn't even plan any of that on stage and it looked <laughs> choreographed, but it's not. It's just that we're so very similar uh, and we've, we've just done so much touring and, and playing together that we kind of, like, we're all on the same page um, musically and and obviously just, like, live as well. It's really awesome. There's one bit where we when we were on the recent European tour last year, um, during Meaning of I, like, for some reason, Scott and I just walked over and started, like, doing, like, the um, mutes at the end of the song, like, on each other's guitars. <laughs> and we watched videos back and we're like, I don't even, like, that just happened. It was like we both knew what we were going to do and we didn't even talk about it, like, and it's become a thing now. We do it all the time if we, you know, got room on stage. So it's just, it's very weird. Yeah. You just become very, uh, intimately aware of one another on stage. It's, I mean, it's that chemistry, isn't it? But it's, it's something that I think it's, it, it's touring that makes a big difference. And as you said before, it's the stability of, of being with the same group of people for, you know, a significant period of time now. You're not having to worry about a new person coming in and then trying to find that dynamic, a new dynamic with, yeah. with everybody. You've, you've, you're pretty much a, a well-oiled machine now. Exactly, and like, and it helps as well that we've all known each other for like a very long time. Like, um, even pre-Voyager, like, um, you know, I've been friends with Ashley since I was about 16 or 17, you know, we used to play shows together in our old bands. Um, and same with Danny, like I was friends with, uh, with him before I joined Voyager. And, um, well, pretty much every member, yeah, we just became very good friends before. And, and I think that helps as well. We've got a very um, familial kind of relationship with, with each other. Like we definitely feel like a family um, and like when we're on tour together, it just, we, we, we all get along so well. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's perfect. Obviously we have our moments like everyone does, but we've got the right people where, you know, if you have to talk about the serious stuff, we're all capable of talking about it and, um, you know, admitting when someone's done something wrong and moving on from it and, and almost becoming stronger from it. Whereas, you know, you know, maybe in the past when I've been in other bands or worked with other musicians, it's like ego takes over and you end up all falling out and the band breaks up or <laughs> <laughs> all that crap. The usual. You know? So there's none of that. It's, it's really great. It's, yeah, I feel very, very, very lucky um, to be in a band with, uh, with the guys. They're, they're just incredible people and, and awesome musicians as well. 
You've been in the band for, did you join 06 or 05? Oh, uh, it was December 05. So that's roughly around the same time that I I joined Lord because I think when we did our first show in the following year, you guys came over. I think, was that yes. your first Sydney show? It was, yeah. At, uh, was it the Annandale? Um, same area. Uh, it was the Empire Hotel, which is now... Empire, long, that was the one. Long yep. gone. But, uh, yeah, um, what... What was, I mean, you mentioned it before, you alluded to it before, like knowing everybody and having sort of history with, with the guys and other bands, but I mean, how did, how did you land the gig? I mean, I know that there was a, there was a member change at the time and I think Mark moved on, but what was, how did that all happen? Who, did Danny reach out to you or what, how did that all sort of come to, come to be? Yeah. I mean, Danny reached out to me, um, you know, sort of said they were looking to get a new guitarist and new drummer. And, um, yeah, I was like, I was obviously quite flattered and shocked because I always used to watch Voyager when I was younger and I, I really loved them as a band and I could see like the potential that they had to be something really special, um, in the country. Like they definitely had something even back then. Like, you know, you watch back now, like old videos and you go, oh my God, we're so much like such a better band now but even when I was younger at like 18 I could see like these guys could do something really really good um and daddy's just such a, a great front man um great vocalist great front man lots of charisma um so when I got the message like you know we want you to try out I was just like holy shit <laughs> Um, and it was actually kind of awkward because I was working with the guy that you know, they parted ways with mm. at a music shop. Oh. <laughs> so it was just really awkward. But I, so I kind of didn't say yes straight away. What I did was I said, look, I'll do the, cause they were wanting to record universe. Mm. And I was like, look, I'll do the album recording. Definitely. Um, and you know what you know commit to the rehearsals and everything for that and recording and tracking um and then we'll just see how it pans out because obviously if you don't get along with people i mean you don't want to be in a band with people that you don't click with um so i just was very um i don't know i was just cautious i guess because I was like, I didn't want to get overexcited about it. Yeah. <laughs> so I was just like, all right, let's just be cautious about it. And obviously I was like, I've, you know, I've got to work with, with – and he was a friend of mine as well, so it was it was quite awkward. Um, but then it was fine after a bit of time and, you know, luckily myself and the other guy would, like, respect one another a, a lot uh, as – as uh, musicians and people and we knew each other and we kind of got over it. Um, but it was like, to me, the first rehearsal with like me and Mark Boyne, um, it just felt good, like straight away. Like you could feel like, yeah, okay, I'm meant to be in this band. <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't take me long to turn around and go, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm going to join permanently. Um, and like the, the music that they were writing 
the universe was a bit different as well from Element V and it was really cool. It was very melancholy. Um, and I think obviously having me and Mark in the band kind of changed the sound a little bit because we were both into kind of heavier music as well. So um, kind of changed the um, direction a little bit, went away from the, the power metal kind of thing and kind of stuck to more the uh, soil worky kind of melodic kind of sound and then encompassing a bit more groove into it. And I think it's just gotten progressively more groove oriented as time's gone on because as we've gotten more members as well, they're all into that sort of style of music as well. So it's just sort of um, been a very natural sort of progression that way. But I think we've managed to kind of keep the core sound uh, of of what Voyager is. You know, we've always got that kind of synth pop um, sound underneath it all. Um, and I don't think we've ever, we'll, we'll ever stop doing that. You know, we, we get labelled as prog, but it, we're not really prog in that, you know, we're not into writing like 12-minute songs or anything. We write a song for the song. Uh, we want it to have good structure and, you know, good punch and catchiness. Um, and I guess that's that kind of pop influence in there, um, sort of creeps in all the time and takes over. Um, and, like, the stuff we're writing at the moment, because we've, we've started writing again, is, yeah, I mean, it's going in a – following in that direction from Go Small uh, with the sort of dark kind of synth wave and synth pop sort of creeping into it as well. So it's sounding really, really cool, though. Who's who's writing most of the music these days? Look, it's very um, – it's changed dramatically. I mean, it used to be – Danny used to come in with, like, pretty much an entire song or, like, 80% of the song, and then we would just nut out part, our parts and kind of flesh it out and – fix up any bits that just we weren't sure about and that was the way of writing for years but then with Ash and in the band he's more into jamming um and since we've had Ash in the band we write predominantly in the rehearsal room someone will come in with an idea so um say Danny comes in with like a a verse and a chorus idea uh, and then we we all flesh it out in the jam room and write parts and create an entire song out of it. So it's definitely a lot more collaborative than it ever was before. And that kind of started, um, say, I mean, we started a little bit during Meaning of I, but I think it really started during the B um, writing process because that was when Ash was like first writing for for the band because obviously meaning by he he just joined and was playing songs so um and it's been like i think it's we're writing some of the the best music that we've we've ever written um there's so much um influence between the five of us um i feel like like ghost smile felt like it was way more focused um record for us and the songs all kind of like tie in with one another and we try, we, I mean, sometimes it wasn't even deliberately, but we put like sort of themes in other songs on the album. So you, you know, it was relating back to other songs. 
it wasn't really a concept. It wasn't meant to be like a concept album or anything as such, but yeah, we seem to be just a lot more um, focused and, you know, we, we were aware of, very much aware of what we want from the music as well. And it's, I'm like I'm just having the time of my life writing with them. It's it's awesome. I, I mean, I know we're kind of writing quite soonish after we've not long after we've released um, Ghost Mile, but that always seems to be the way now because we we get all inspired after we release an album and we keep writing. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's not, it's not cool. a bad problem to have. No, no, it's it's, it's great. Yeah. And I mean, if we're all still inspiring one another, I mean. God, that's, that's half the battle usually when you're in a band is you know keeping that keeping it fresh, um, and it's it's just been I can't complain. It's just been awesome. It's um it's pretty unique. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of bands that get together in a jam room and and nut out songs and and see where things go off a riff or a verse or a chorus or something like that. I mean, we don't do that at all in our band. I mean, we, we all go and I mean, I haven't seen Mark at all this year. I, he, I saw him at the end of last year and I haven't seen him at all in 2018 and we all, but we all keep in contact, but we're all online and we just, we just flick things backwards and forwards and you know, we might, you know, we're we're in the writing, well, finishing off the, all the writing now, but we all do it separately, and it's all you know, recording at home and flicking things backwards and forwards. And Tim does a lot of arranging, but yeah. I love I love the idea of being in a room together with everybody where you have a theme, an idea, something very basic, or just a riff or whatever it is, and just seeing what comes of it. And um, I, I I mean, just on the outside looking in, that's probably a big reason why the songs make so much more sense or feel so good and you, you guys are in the best place that you've ever been because you've probably got such a massive collective buy-in from everybody because they're all you're all together, you're all connected and you're all creating these things together at the same time. So the energy that would come out of that room as you're creating these new pieces of music would be incredible. And it, it's funny because sometimes we, um, you know, you mentioned tracking and that, I mean, we do a bit of that as well. It's, um, you know, like me and Scott will do some pre-production and, you know, track some guitars. It's like some of the stuff is a bit harder to nut out in the jam room. Like if you have to, if you know you want to write like a bit more of a, um, you know, noty kind of guitar riff and you can't come up with something on the spot, you know, it's good to, for us to get together and we do that. I mean, because that, that's kind of like our process is we'll work on something in the room. Danny will then track the vocals and keys and stuff for us. And then Ash will program some drums. And then we all kind of sort of track like demos. And then what we do is we'll listen to the demo. And if there's anything that we go, oh, that's not working or that feels a bit flat there. Then we can go back and sort of repeat the process, go back in the jam room, work on something else, come up with something, you know, and repeat, go back and record it. But the other guys sometimes as well, you know, we don't do five-person jams all the time sometimes when we're writing. You know, sometimes, um, you know, Alex is doing his gigs to make some cash or, I've you know had been suffering with my migraines pretty bad lately, so I might even miss a couple of rehearsals. And 
even that can be good as well. Like when there's like different, you know, maybe there's only three people in a room one day and they come up with something because sometimes having too many people and too many cooks in the kitchen can be bad as well. Mm. So. <laughs> it well, kind of works for us though. It's, it's good. Well, that's it. I mean, you're making the most of whatever the situation is at the time. And I guess, you know, if there's if there's less people there, then you get a bit more creative because you're trying to, who knows, maybe subconsciously trying to compensate for the person that's not there just to try and fill in something or you try something a little yeah. bit different then suddenly you go, oh, well, like, I didn't know I had that in me or didn't didn't even think about doing that and then suddenly you've got an idea that you can you can build off. Exactly, and that's generally what happens is just you know, just fucking around in the room over something and then someone will go, Oh, I really like what you're doing there and at least if you know you're on the right page you can kind of flesh it out and develop it from from that idea that if everyone likes it. But it's the same with Ash. I mean Ash will just come up with some really awesome like beats and and sometimes you know you write a write a riff or something around that um and that's just very new to us compared to um you know mark likes to go away and you know he likes to suss his drums out on his own um at home he mm. didn't like to kind of work things out and jam it and it, it's been interesting to kind of work from you know two different ways I mean, Mark's an incredible drummer as well, and the stuff that he laid down on um, on the three albums that we were on together is phenomenal as well. I mean, we've been so lucky to have such great musicians over the years that have sort of come and gone. Um, but yeah, it's it's funny. I never would have if you had asked me ten years ago. Oh, you know, do you like jamming? I would have been like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm like, yeah, jamming's great, and I feel like as I'm getting older, I'm kind of enjoying more kind of grouping out on riffs and things rather than, you know, playing six billion note solos of kind of like, whereas when I was younger, it was like, yeah, solos, it's all about how many notes has the riff got and <laughs> more notes is better. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh, man, I just want to groove out on this like, chunky riff now and it, it feels good do you guys record your rehearsals or do you do you track any like when you come up with an idea just jamming do you guys have anything on hand or just get your phones out or is it as simple as that or how's that work yeah yeah we just like alex or myself or even danny will just pull a phone out and at least if we got like a rough idea of it um and that's usually when Danny will go in and change his backing. So it all has to start from Danny doing his backings and kind of vocal tracks. Um, and then we can kind of add the guitar parts and the drums and everything to it from there. But, yeah, just like someone will come up with an idea. or be like, all right, we'll just record that. So we've got, you know, we've got it there and then, Maybe you might leave it for a couple of weeks, work on a different song, and then come back to it and it's, you know, fresh again, and everyone's a bit more excited about it, and you come up with some even more ideas. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's quite, um, an arduous task, you know, going and then doing pre production, and, you know, it's a lot of time and effort, but I, I think it's awesome. Like, it's awesome to listen back. Like, I've still got some of the demos from, V and um, Go Smile on my phone, and it's just awesome to hear 
like the difference in them from the pre-production and then you listen to the album and you're like, it's essentially the same layout, but it just sounds like, you know, 20 times better and you're just like, man, it's so cool just to like put them next to each other and, and hear it all. And obviously like the person that's producing the album, you know, they've got their ideas to add to it as well and they add like sound effects or like little production um you know, value onto like sections like, you know, maybe they'll put a big bass drop on one bit or um, you know, vocal filters and stuff and you're just like, Oh man, that sounds sick Just <laughs> something that you wouldn't even think about doing like in the band. It's like I think everyone that touches it is got a very important role to play when it comes to actually making an album. Um, you know, not a lot of people give a like your producer enough credit as well. I mean, they definitely add add to the flavour of the, the music that's coming out as well and obviously give it a nice big sound as well. And, I mean, no doubt when you listen back to those demos and then you, you hear the final product, yeah, it must be reassuring to know that, you know, sometimes when you're coming up with a demo or you've got something that's really, like, rough as guts and you're thinking, oh, I just don't know where this is going to go. But then to see, like, the proof in the pudding of how dramatically things can change, as you said, like, the structure and the the foundation of it is more or less the same. But to hear it sort of evolve and get polished and get it brought up to a, to this amazing standard, I mean, no doubt it'd be reassuring in those early stages when you write the next songs and you sort of think, oh... I don't know. This is a bit rough around the edges. I don't know where it's going to go. Well, that's right. I mean, it, it, it's it's so funny, like, the difference between, like, listening to something recorded properly with good production. Like, there was some of the sort of heavy and faster songs on Ghost Mile where you were like, oh, I really hope that we can, like, get the, you know, grab the... Uh, get the right vibe to come through on the on the track. You know, you want something to sound like really heavy and epic and like like the double kick bit in, in Ghost Mile, like that came out so awesome. Uh like once we got the first mixes back, I was like, this is fucking like exactly what I wanted it to sound like. Just getting the goosebumps, you know, whereas listen to a demo it sounds pretty lackluster. There's like no dynamics to a demo whatsoever. It's just like guitars and photos and, you know, fake drums and that. But you kind of have to use your imagination a little bit with the demos. And yeah, like that's it. The imagination's where it, where it keeps you going. Exactly. I mean, it's even like we're, we're tracking demos at the moment and, you know, people are like, oh, I don't know about this. And, you have to have an idea of what you want on it so you can kind of reach that goal as well. You know, you kind of got ideas for like filters or guitar tones or, um, you know, maybe even getting some field recordings and adding like sound effects to kind of fill it out. And yeah, I, I getting it, it, it's good to do the demos. It inspires you and it, it triggers even more ideas that, uh, you know, you might not come up with otherwise. And I think it's, always been a very, very important part of our writing process. Like, we've always done pre-production demos, even from when we weren't writing the way we write now. And, and it, it is. It's super important. It helps you actually nut the structure out, get rid of anything that's, like, 
just a waste of time and isn't working and just make sure that you've got the best possible version of the song that you're writing. You are born in Scotland? I was, yes. I was born in a town called Falkirk or as the locals call it, fuck it. Uh, (laughs) I was thinking it. (laughs) Yeah, well, it sounds like that when you've got a Scottish accent. So, (laughs) Um, It's basically central. If you look at um, Stirling, Edinburgh and Glasgow make a triangle and Falkirk is a little town smack bang in the middle. So when when did you move to Australia? Uh, I was six, um, so basically just started school, and then my dad, my dad just really wanted to immigrate to Australia, um, and he was just like, "Yeah, I just want to do something different. I want to go to Australia." I think he just like had a friend or someone at work that had mentioned it, um, and then yeah, he applied. We got accepted. Uh, when the first day we arrived, it was, it was like the hottest February day that they've had in like 20 years or something. And it was like 47 or something. <laughs> we got off the plane and we're like... For a bunch it, of it was Scots. Like, yeah, well, it was like minus 15 or something when we left Scotland and snowing. And then like <laughs> we arrived and we were just like, what sort of God forsaken fucking hell is this country (laughs) welcome (laughs) yeah it was like the worst possible way to to get welcome to the country it was like the hottest thing um yeah but when we first moved here we yeah that had a lot of lot of problem timed it really badly because it was 91 and there was a recession Mm. um couldn't get any work like it was a bit touch and go for us actually staying in the country like for a while because obviously my dad was panicking a bit like if I can't get work you know yeah absolutely we'll have to go back home with this tail between the legs but eventually he finally got a job and yeah we've been here ever since so it's like 20 it was like 26 years or something, 27 years I've been here. We did go back one, mm. um, like to live like a year, and then we were like, nah. Do you go to Australia? Like, I mean, I, I do miss home. Like, I miss my family. Like, like, pretty much all of my family's over there. And, you know, it does get a bit lonely sometimes. But, I mean, I. I, I think back and I'm like, well, would I have had the same opportunities, you know, with music and everything over there that I've been so fortunate to, to have here? Um, you know, like I got, I got a scholarship to learn music um, in, in school. So I started doing classical guitar when I was about 11, wow. you see. You know, and you think about those things like, you know, would I have, would I have ended up doing music or, you know, would I be doing it to the same capacity? Would I have done something different? You just, you just don't know. You just don't know, do you? No. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm so, you know, I'm definitely more Australian than, than Scottish. And I, I mean, I'm still love, love my country. I, you know, love the people, love the heritage. Um, 
but just I'm definitely an Aussie now because I've been here too long. <laughs> Well, and I am an Australian citizen, so... Oh, there you go. Yeah, you tick the boxes. I mean, I wouldn't... I, I've known, like, when you guys have toured overseas and you've been you've been in Scotland and you've made a few references and I've seen you make a few sort of comments along the way and I sort of thought, okay, like, you've got family and, like, my grandfather immigrated from Scotland after the Second World War and so a lot of my background is Scottish heritage, but, you know... My, my parents were born here and, you know, so we're, we're a couple of generations in. But um, yeah. I, then I sort of went, oh, hang on, you're not, it's not your parents. It's it's you that's come over, like you, you're born over there. So uh, it's fascinating because you always hear about the mass, you know, migration of people from from the from the, the Northern Hemisphere down to Australia after, after the Second World, World War. But um, you don't hear about too much of it that happened sort of in more recent years. And um, it's fascinating just to see what people go through. And I just and I didn't even know that you were six years old as well. So you you have a lot of fresh memories of growing up in Scotland, and then coming here, and then you know working out all the, oh, the different nuances and culture differences and everything like that. I mean, it was it was it was hard. Mm. Um, you know, obviously, you look and sound different. You get bullied. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like this little short, fair-skinned Scottish girl with red hair. <laughs> so you can imagine all the shit I went through in school. Especially in <laughs> WA as well. Oh, yeah, it was like, yeah. It, it was hard at first, but um, I was, I've, I've always, like, mum always says that about me. She's like, you always, like, could entertain yourself. I'm, well, I'm an only, well, I'm an only child. I've got, like, half-siblings because my, my, Dad was married before he met my mum, mm. but you know I, I've pretty much grown up as an only only child. You, know, you have to kind of like entertain yourself sometimes. So <laughs> <laughs> I somehow found a way to like, yeah. I mean, but I, I loved it here. I know like, a lot of the people I met. I think I loved as well that it was just so. Um, you know, you I'd go to school and there's like people that are done the same thing you know there's like people from all different countries it's so multicultural um where it, like not that it wasn't like multicultural in the uk because obviously we had a lot of um a lot of pakistani um in, and indians um over there as well but way more like asian um heritage come over here and it was awesome like Love the the food and the culture, um, and and just getting to hang out with like your friends and their family members, and you know getting getting involved in all of that as well. I had Greek friends as well. They used to take us to like Greek Easter and stuff like that. So that was really cool growing up. It's just all the different people from all the different walks of life. A lot of people that had emigrated over as well. Um, or like what you're saying, like the generation before was mm. the people that migrated over. So it, it, it's it's a very very interesting little country we've got here. I mean, it's not little, big. <laughs> not a lot. There's not a lot of shit in it though. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Too much empty space. I was going to say there's a lot of space between both of us right now as well. But it's like, I mean, no doubt that would have been just to have other people that have gone through a similar journey to you. That would have been reassuring. And I'm, I'm just, I'm going to make a bunch of assumptions. But you know, you're an only child. 
you've come over at six years of age and, you know, the natural thing for a kid is to try and find friends and try and find people that uh, you, you can relate to and they can relate to, to back to you as well. And, I mean, finding people that are, that are also have migrated over, um, it probably would have just given you a little bit of a reassurance that you're not completely on your own. Oh, definitely. And, and then I, I think back now, um, I actually reconnected with a few friends from when I first moved here because um, we were in a different area when we first moved here. So, um, you know, you lose touch with people once you, you move. I've just rekindled that and I'm like, man, most of my friends that I was really close with, they were all, they were all migrants. Like it was Greeks, it was Italians. Um, especially because I was in Osborne Park, and Osborne Park is very wog, <laughs> <laughs> very wog. So, um, and I've actually got a bit of wog background as well. I don't know if I've ever told you that, no. but my dad, my dad's side of the family is Italian. Oh, so, okay, what a mix. Yeah, my my middle name is Nicoloso. Oh. <laughs> now nah, you're you're having me so, on. Are you shitting me? Really? No, I'm not shitting you. I, I, <laughs> my middle name is Nicoloso. Um, it's my nonna's. That's my nonna's surname. Wow. Um, I did not know that. So, How cool. Yeah, from from the north. That's why I've still got the, the pasty skin and the red hair. <laughs> and, and believe it or not, the, 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 the red hair we think may have actually come from the Italian side because my nonna had kind of like quite auburn hair. Right. Kind of more kind of brownie red colour. And my dad did as well. So, um, yeah, it's fun out. I know everyone thinks Italians are usually like dark hair and, you know, big beards and like hairy men and stuff like that. But, yeah, the north is not like that at all. It's all kind of more the Scandinavian-looking colouring, you know, pasty white, blue eyes, fair hair. Well, Jess... Jess's parents are both, um, you know, Italian backgrounds and her dad's from the north and her mum's from the south. And so her dad, I mean, if you didn't know his name and his name's Gino, you wouldn't, you wouldn't pick it. And you would, yeah. you just look at him and he's just like very fair, fair hair, fair skin. And um, it's only certain little tinges of when he talks, you can get a bit of that Italian in it. Um, a bit of the, yeah. a bit of the Italian attitude comes out a bit, but um, it's, oh, yeah. but, um, but <laughs> when you look, and, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. But it's just, um, <laughs> it's amazing. And, and his parents as well, I mean, are all from the North and it's just like this, it's very, that fair, that fair skin and it just, it, it uh, it's the complete opposite of the the stereotype when you associate a particular person with a country. Yeah, well, it's just because yeah, the South is where all the uh, the darker darker complexion, the tanned, dark hair um, Italians are. Whereas, like, it's funny because when I'm in Europe, you know, people think I'm German usually, yeah. or like, yeah, when we've been in like Germany and. Um, and the Netherlands and stuff like people will come up and try and talk to you. So obviously look a bit European, but they can't like, I don't look Italian obviously, but <laughs> I must have that. Like I guess coming from the North, it would probably have a bit more of those sort of um, mixture of, you know, the thing with Europe is there's not really any borders. So, you know, if people would have just walked around and, intermingled back in the back in the olden days that's right all over the place you know so i I mean i'd love to do one of those ancestry things because i reckon i've probably got some weird shit going on in my 
like heritage. I'd love to, I'd, I'd love to do that and just like see where else I've got family and do a family tree thing and just be, I don't know. It's one thing I want to do before I, before I die. <laughs> well, I reckon, <laughs> like I reckon you absolutely would have stuff out. like that. Yeah. I think you'd, I think you'd have like a really sort of mixed, um, sort of background given, you know, growing, growing oh. up in Scotland and, and your dad's side and, um, you know, obviously Italian, but. I think, um, you know, the Nordics and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, all the Scandinavia, those guys were like, you know, cruising all over the place up, up that top end. So, Oh, and, definitely in Scotland. Yeah. It's all Vikings. So I've probably got like freaking Swedish and Norwegian and <laughs> who knows? Like it's, it's probably there. It, it's quite exciting to think about that stuff though. Like uh, I think more people need to think that way and, you know, we're, we're all we've all got a bit of everything in us. I think you know we've all got, we all had to come from two people at the start. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> That's it. Everyone everyone's connected so, one way or the other. We're all we're all connected in some weird, gross way. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't think about it that way, but yeah, okay, true. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and I, I think it's exciting. Like, it I find it fascinating. Like. God, imagine going back and finding out you had something really like obscure in there, like African or like uh, Asian or something like that. I'd be like, far out. How did that happen? You know, you go back on your family tree and who went where for that to happen? You know, like, I don't know. It's just very cool. These are the things that you. That you think about. <laughs> well, I think, well I, that's what I think about. Maybe it's because I'm getting older. I don't know. That's it. You're getting so old. Yeah, ancient. But I mean, ancient. I think we're. I think I'm pretty sure we're the same age. So I, I, it's okay. I'm allowed to say it. But um, I, I'm pretty sure I read an article years and years ago about Mongolia and Genghis Khan, and I'm pretty sure like there was some myth going around, but there was a bit of truth to it that apparently his sort of rule over a large part of Europe left like so many people with Mongolian genetics that there's so much of the world's population that if you trace it right back, there's Mongolian heritage. It was, they, they dominated so much for such a period of time over such a massive, you know, landmass that, um, yeah. that everyone, <laughs> everyone got a bit of Mongolian. Well, it's like the Romans as well. Yeah. I mean, the Romans, man, they, they, it's, it's hilarious because of having that heritage and then you go to Scotland, like because Scotland was the one place the Romans couldn't conquer because we were – they called us savages. <laughs> <laughs> they, like, tried to build a wall and it's called um, Hadrian's Wall. Um, there's still, like, bits of it in, like, actually near where, um, where I'm from um, in Falkirk. There's, like, bits of artefacts and stuff. Um, you know, from back hundreds of years ago. Um, yeah, and they tried to kind of like build a wall and take over the UK. And yeah, the Scots just were not having a bar of it. <laughs> they were just like nuts. <laughs> Too feral. That's it. Yeah. Keep them in. Lock them in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, it's, 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 I've got to actually. I'd love to go and visit my Italian relatives because I've still got some like second cousins and 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 things over there. Like my dad's always going, you should go over, and I'd love to do that one day. Like when it's not part of touring, you know, and just have a maybe do a bit of a road trip 
around Europe and try and catch up with all my this family that I haven't seen since I was a little kid. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's also a cool thing to see, even from a genetic point of view, to see sort of uh, where traits come from, where even like conditions and things like, not even just visually, but just, you know, different things of your makeup and see where it comes from. Does it come from, you know, down the path of your mother's side or from your father's side? You know, how far back does it stem? And it sort of, it gives you more understanding of who you are and what, you know, your, your own makeup. That's right. And I think that's why I, maybe that is why you kind of try and do that as you get older because you, you, you kind of, I don't know about you, Andy, but you know, you just start to kind of look at life a, with a bit more of a bigger perspective as you get older. You know, you cherish things a lot more than you did when you were uh, a teenager when you don't think about anything and you've got no concept of life and death when you're younger. You get older and you kind of uh, have a bit more respect for all of that. You know, you start to have you, – you, you lose family and, and friends to, you know, things like cancer and things like that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's quite sobering. Um, and I think that's why when you get older, you're kind of like, well, I want to see where I came from and what, you know, your family's purpose was and – um, you know, what you got up to. And I think that's kind of why you want to investigate and, and invest some time into that. Um, well, I, I mean, I, I know that's why I do. Um, I, I, I look at the world completely different now from when I was younger. When I was younger, it's like, yeah, party, like work nine to five and I'm going to get trashed on the weekend. Where, you know, now, it, yeah, it's just funny how when you get older, you're, the way you think and feel about things completely changes. It's, I'm enjoying it. I, I think it's awesome. I'm like, I think my 30s, um, you know, bar all the medical crap I've been going through, in terms of like where I feel I am as a person, I think 30s is a good is a good age. You're you're, you're young enough to still, um, you know, try new things and then have that kind of fresh view of life but you're also mature enough to sort of uh not get lost in your thoughts and actually kind of um like you can look you look at things differently and you're good at analyzing things and situations um so i I was finding it like really incredible but i I don't know about you but i mean you're ahead of me you're married (laughs) i haven't even got to that stage yet (laughs) yeah but i mean i i am in some ways but i guess in other ways i'm not and i think but i mean that's the cool thing like everybody has their own journey and they they all do different things at different times but i i mean I'm, i'm similar to you because i there's a lot more reflection going on there's a lot more trying to trying to take stock and understand where, where you are in the grand scheme of things. Like, you know, yes. how, how long am I here for? And, and what, what have I done so far? And, and, and having a bit of, you know, gratitude of what you, what you've achieved and being happy about that, but also then saying, then looking and going, what am I here for? And what is my purpose? And, and then seeing what I can do with the time that I still have here and, and not waiting until it's, you know, until, you know, an ailment, you know, uh, cripples you or you're on your deathbed and then you realize oh i didn't get to really do anything so it's yeah. I, and i yeah. think now with the internet 
I think people are having these moments and they're thinking about it a lot earlier. I think a lot of like older generations probably didn't really think about it until they're in their fifties or sixties, and they'd start to have that what they would call that midlife crisis, you know. No, because they're stuck in a routine thing, and and you know you're told they were. I think it was a lot simpler back then. Yeah. You know, it was just kind of like this is what you do. You know, you go through college, do this, get a job, have a kid sweet that's your set you know whereas I think now like people are sort of looking and and wanting to actually uh I don't know you you want to get the most out of the 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 little time that you have here I mean you you start to realize that as you get older it's like man like this might be the only time I'm here I want to enjoy it you know I want to I don't want to get to to like you said I don't want to get to like 60, 70 and be like, oh, man, wish I had just, like, not given a shit about my job and done those tours, you know? (laughs) (laughs) You know, you're kind of like, I get that, you know, you have to be a little bit sensitive as an adult as well. Um, But for me, the way I'm looking at it is, like, obviously I've got nothing tying me down at the moment. It's just me. Um, So I'm just kind of trying to enjoy the, the the music while I'm still passionate about it and still loving it and still enjoying going out and, and touring and, and playing shows in weird countries that I've never been to before. So I'm just kind of thinking, you know, well, I'll just keep doing that until it's not fun anymore. And, you know, when it's not fun anymore, then I can worry about, you know, getting a proper career again and, you know, Sort of settling down or whatever else. Even if you have um, to, like, even if like you might not even have to do it. I think that's the cool thing well, now right. is that you can you can have everything, like, as in, and not in a greedy sort of selfish way. But you know, it's not like years and years ago. It was all about you either pick one path or you pick the other, and that's it. And yeah. and that was created well, probably out of necessity because we didn't have as much access to things. But I think a lot of it was just fear as well, and it was because of whatever our parents or our grandparents or great-grandparents told us. And so we'd just stick to one path, and that was it. That was your identity, and that was who you are. Yep. And it was the stability and the reliability of life, and that's what people craved. And now it's like you can, you can tour the world and you can have a career on the side. I mean, look at Danny and your band and what he does – it's incredible, and, exactly. And I think that goes to show, and it breaks all the stereotypes that you can you can have a, a whole heap of different things on the go at the same time, and have balance, and be healthy, and really enjoy life, and get the the absolute most out of it. And I think that's really cool. And and um, I think that's yeah. what a lot of people didn't do as well back then. Is like I think you know you look at people, and I think they put maybe way too much focus on their job and the kids, and you know they don't. Uh, take time for themselves as well. Yeah. And that's when you see people really start to lose themselves and, you know, I guess that's when, you know, maybe people have that midlife crisis and, you know, divorces or whatever else happens. But I think if you keep a very happy life for yourself and, and make sure that, you you know, you're still doing things that make you happy as well, um, you know, if you've got a hobby, freaking do the hobby, you know, it's good for the, the mental state of mind. Um, and I, I, I think, I think more people are realizing that, you know, 
you can't just invest your your entire self into into one thing. Um, so it just drives you crazy otherwise, or you just feel like you lose a piece of yourself. Um, and 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 I, I think that's awesome. Like I, I don't think I'll ever stop playing music. I didn't mean that before when I said you know when it's not fun. I was more meaning like maybe I don't want to tour anymore because I mean it, it's very expensive and it and it takes a lot out of you. Um, and, and I'm not going to lie, I have had to question whether I could keep doing it. In more recent times, with my um, my migraines have just been freaking nailing me. So. Mm. Um, you know, and that can make you think like, oh my God, am I going to be able to do this, um, you know, for much longer? Um, you know, but I'm, I'm, you know, you're just trying new medical things to, to, to keep doing it and, and I'm still loving it. So I'm, I'm, you know, my doctors told me to keep doing what I'm doing because I get positive stuff out of it. So, um, and I'm just trying to make that work at the moment. Um, but I think I'll always play music no matter what. Like even if I stop touring, I think I'll still jam with people and maybe track things or do a recording project because, you know, it's always part of you, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's like it's just not putting all your mental eggs in one basket, you know. If you, if you find joy in a whole range of different things and – you know, I know people that you know if they if they lost their touring aspect, their their whole world would come apart. But you know, yes. other people at the same time have all these different things. And I think for you, you know, music's such a big part of your life that you know you know that if that aspect of it uh, stops sometime further down the track, that you've got other things that would still bring you joy and bring you happiness. And and that's that's the most important thing. And it's just about that balance and spreading yourself out a little bit, so you have got a few different things oh, to to keep you keep you going. Definitely, definitely, and um, you know, just like uh, I try and um, you just you just try and uh, keep yourself busy and um, make sure you're happy. I mean, I enjoy a lot of other things other than playing music. Um, you know, I'm really into food as well. Like, I love I love going out and eating like really like amazing food, like fine dining. Like, I spend like a decent amount of money. To, to go to a really nice restaurant and eat some great food. I mean, that's been something I've—I don't know if that's in my blood because of the the Italian, you know, mm, side of me. But like an I just—oh man, I <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it, and that's one thing you know I've missed is having a glass of red wine with a, a, a nice glass of red with with a with a with a delicious meal, um, you know. And I, sometimes I just sit and do that, and I'm like. This is this is awesome. Like just sitting and enjoying flavors. Like instead of just like eating and thinking about food. Like oh, I need to eat to live. I, I like to actually enjoy it, you know, and talk about what's in it and oh. get the flavors. And I'm you, such a foodie. <laughs> oh well, you and Jess are pretty much. Exactly the same. So Jess loves <laughs> Jess loves the fine dining, and I am the uh, I am the complete opposite end of the spectrum. You're like I, get us a meat pie, eh? Oh, just <laughs> like and mind you, I have become a little bit not uh, snobbish is not the right word because it makes it sound negative, but I. I have become a little bit more refined. That's probably a better word with with some of the food that I eat, and I'm a little bit more attentive to the types of things that um, I choose to eat now. But I mean, I've always been a you know 
it's it's a mechanical thing. It's you know I eat because I'm hungry and I need yeah. I need the energy to keep going, and that's as simple as that. And if I can eat while I'm moving and doing other things, then even better. If I sit down in one spot, then I'm I'm restless. But Jess loves it. Jess loves going to a nice restaurant, fine dining, having the glass of red, having the entrees, having the different different meals, having the multiple courses, and having the full yep. shebang. And I yep. I get it. I get it. And I'm, I'm as as a as a very um, devoted husband, I certainly um, do make sure that I, I make sure that we go out for dinner quite often. But it's um, yeah. I, when you said that, I thought, oh god, that yeah, that's definitely Jess as well. So, but um, I'm I am getting better. <laughs> oh look, I think you have to have a. I think you have to have a bit of a palate for it anyway. Like some people just aren't like that with food. I've met people like that. They're like. Yeah, I don't, I don't get the enjoyment out of it. Like, I eat, it tastes all right, and I'm hungry. <laughs> well, I, my my background, like I'm, I'm pretty much the carbon, or not exactly, but I was going to say a carbon copy of my grandfather, who was the Scottish migrant coming out, and his whole thing was routine. And on yeah. on you know, on certain days of the week, he would have scrambled eggs for dinner. He would have fish on Fridays. He would have this, oh, you know, that. and it was just. But it was the such most, a British thing. Oh yeah, big time. And it was so plain, very plain. And that's, yeah. that was my palate growing up because my mum, that, that's what she grew up with with her dad, and and it just got passed down to me. And so, until really, I moved from Brisbane to Sydney, um, and that was about. 20 years old, my palate was crap, you know. I grew up on Vegemite and just basic foods, and so suddenly I moved, <laughs> moved into, like, Marrickville, and I'm like, oh, my God, there's culture here. And I had to learn all sorts of things. I'm like, I don't understand what this food is, but, oh, okay, I'll, I'll – hopefully I don't die when I put it in my mouth and then realise, oh, no, it's okay, everything's all right. <laughs> I'm much better. But, well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're in Sydney, and Sydney and Melbourne is, like, crazy for food. Yeah. I mean, we're only just starting to get – decent over here now because um, we're like a glorified country town over here. Mm. <laughs> everything is like, it's nine o'clock, it's time to shut the kitchen <laughs> and everything. So I, I hate that. But but um, no, that's definitely a very British thing. And I think, honestly, like if, um, if mum hadn't have met my dad, I don't think, like, she like she probably would have just kept eating like that as well. But my dad introduced her to a lot of like awesome food, and my mum's got a really good palate. Actually, she loves food. Mm. Like now that she got introduced to it, she's just like she never looked back after that. You know, now she's just like all over all that sort of stuff. But I when I get it, like when I go back to Scotland and visit my family, it's like that. Oh, can I roast dinner night? And you're like, oh. Fuck, that's so boring. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> eating the same food every, like, set day. Like, far out. I couldn't do that. And like, don't, I and, like... And don't break the routine, whatever you do. Otherwise, it's well, it, it's it's like nuclear war. Everything's over. Yeah. It's apocalypse has, has uh, rained upon <laughs> us. <laughs> Nostradamus. That's oh, it. man, it's the end of the world. <laughs> no, fear, I totally get it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, some of the food in the UK is fucking atrocious like it's funny like some of it's amazing like because obviously we're right next to europe so yeah. there's like awesome italian french spanish restaurants and stuff but there's still that some of those people that are just stuck in and they're like yeah i just want like 
Nick Deep fried fucking everything, you know, like you just go, oh man. Like, I just, like, I'm so glad I got away from that in some, some aspects. I'm like, I'm really glad that we moved somewhere that's quite multicultural. But I, know, I mean, I know Australia can have its moments as well with the, you know, the whole barbecue culture and, oh, well, know, I guess we beers I, and Barbies and meat pies and. Well, we've got that, we've got that British heritage, you know, from several generations back. So a lot of that's still sort of a big part of, well, I was going to say a big part of our culture, but we sometimes I, I question how much culture we've got here. But, oh, God, but the, I know. But the migrants coming sometimes out of this helped. Sometimes you shake your head when you see some of the shit that goes on, hey? It's just like, <laughs> oh, well, far out. Speaking of the UK, I was going to question or ask you about blood bloodstock. Oh, God, yeah. Far out. That's man, when we got when we got offered that, that was like big deal to us, like um, you know, it's one of the one of the more revered sort of festivals over in the UK, especially for metal. Um, and then you just look at the lineup that's playing it, it's like far out, this is just gonna be so awesome. Like I think like the Emperor playing and it was fucking nuts. <laughs> did, you, did you guys um, know uh, a fair bit in advance before you, the announcement was actually made that you guys were p- playing it, or was it sort of more of a you know a pretty quick quick turnaround of going, oh wow, this is going to happen? I think it was like maybe a month. Yeah. Okay. A month, maybe. Like, I mean, we like to try and um, plan things. Like, it's hard in this industry, as you you will know, to do that sometimes because. It's a very, very strange industry and some people just don't understand that, you know, you've got flights to book and you need to actually block things out of your calendar and you need time. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, oh, yeah, I'll let you know, like, you know, one day before the gig. Um, (laughs) So it's hard. But, yeah, we, we like to try and... Thankfully, yeah, a lot of the stuff over in the UK has been pretty good. Our, Our manager's from the UK, so... Um, she's got a really good, yeah, she's got a good handle on the industry over there and she knows how it all works. And, um, so we trust her, like, obviously to, to to suss all that out with our booking agent from, from Europe. Um, they've got a good relationship as well. And yeah, it was awesome. Like we just, like basically Lulu was like, Oh, I want to try and put you forward for some festivals. Um, and yeah, Bloodstock did not expect it. Like when we when we got the offer, it was just was like really really stoked about it. I'm like probably that and Japan are the like things I'm um, really really looking forward to this year because um, we've never played Japan before yeah, and first. been dying to get over there. And yeah, and we're doing like Tech Fest and Ramblin' Man as well. I mean, Ramblin' Man Fair will be really interesting as well because it will be like a a bit more of an older demographic. Um, it says um, quite some older bands that are like really popular that are playing like Fish from Marillion nice. and you know, and um, I think Steel Panther are playing and the the Cult. Um, so, so it's a nice mixed 
uh, festival. So I think there'll be like a like a bit more older people there, which is good. You want to kind of get across um, to the different markets. You know, obviously it's great to get young people into your music, but older people are the ones that are going to buy your merch. <laughs> I was going to say. Because <laughs> they, they have money and a job. <laughs> well, that's why so Prog Power works so well because oh, a lot of yeah. those guys have got careers and a lot of them are like, you know, have got really impressive careers. A lot of lawyers oh, and people that work in, in the medical world and that's their big vacation for the year. So they, oh, geez, they stock up on the, on the merch. I think it's awesome. Like, we were talking about that the other day. I was like, this is basically like guys that are like fully into their metal probably when they were younger. Um, never really like did the whole hanging out with the band or anything like that. But then they've, they've gotten success like in their careers. And now once a year, they just like blow their money, get like the gold, um, is it oh, the gold membership or, or whatever like it is? Yeah. yeah. The VIP and, you know, they go, they they sponsor bands to come over and hang out with them and get trashed and buy heaps <laughs> of merch. I think, I think it's rad. Get loose. I want to be. I want to be. Uh, <laughs> I want to be like that when I'm like forty or fifty. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's sick. Hey, you hey, know? can you hang on a sec? Yeah. Hold on one sec. Sorry. Are you there? I'm um, here. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I locked Jess out of the house. She was coming in and we got a message saying, <laughs> I can't get in. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> and what was that about being a, a great husband? Yeah, I know, I know. Just <laughs> just cancelled that one out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Um, um, with, these, with these dates, because I, was, I, was, I don't know how much you can tell me or whether you want to give me an exclusive, Um but I noticed there's like a hell of a lot of gaps between these dates. So I saw, I think you're in the UK, like from the 1st of July to the 8th. And then there's like nothing until an, a month later, Bloodstock. And then at the end of that month is Japan. And then a few days later, you're in the US for Prog Power. And then I saw only by accident, because I couldn't see an announcement anywhere that I think after that or a few days after you're playing in Mexico City, which is crazy. Yeah. So what's what's the go? Are there some more dates to come? Uh, not at this stage. Basically, we we never really intended. Basically, Lulu was like, "Oh, I'll put feelers out for festivals," um, and we were like, "Okay, cool. That would be awesome because festivals, obviously, you know, bigger reach mm. out to, to more people." Um, and then we were thinking, like, oh, we could do – if it's going to be more Europe, then maybe we'll try and do a tour around it. Because um, originally we wanted to do a tour in the U.S. while we were over at Prog Power. We mm. thought, you know, you do a U.S. tour. We did Europe last year. Um, but then we got all these offers for the, like, decent festivals. And then Bloodstock came up last. Um, and we kind of um denied about it. Um, there wasn't any like sort of big tours around for us to jump on, so we kind of just decided that we'll fly over. We'll do the first lot of festivals, and I think we're doing like maybe two or three English shows. Yep. Uh, we've got one in London and one in Birmingham, I think. 
Um, I don't know if there's any other ones getting announced. I'm not sure. I'm like the worst band member ever. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There might be. So I don't know, but we're just going to do a couple of exclusive shows around it. Uh, and then we're just going to come back because people have jobs um, and then fly back over for Bloodstock because we were like, we don't want to not play Bloodstock because that's like a big festival. Mm. Um, but we also don't want to be sitting around in Europe for sort of five weeks doing nothing and spending money that we don't have. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So we're like, well, you know, and the flights to go back over are actually, you know, they're not, they're quite cheap at, um, at that time. So we're like, oh, well, it'll be cheaper for us to do that. Um, you know, we just got to look at it as a more of a um, marketing sort of opportunity for us, getting our, um, you know, getting out to as many people as we can in those shows, you know. Uh, and then, yeah, Japan, we've been trying to do for ages and then that came up. Um, and, and we just sort of decided, okay, well, if we're going to do Japan, we don't need to worry so much about doing a Europe tour. Um, cause that's not going to be cheap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, we were just like, if we can get Japan before we go to America, then that's awesome. And that ended up kind of falling into place. And then uh, Lily's like, do you want to do some South American shows while you're there? And we're like, maybe one, because we don't want to miss too much of Prog Power because, again, that's a, a, a big opportunity for networking and selling your merch and hanging out with fans. So you want to try and spend as much time as, as you can while you're there. Mm. Um, you know, people paid good money for it. So yeah. we're just going to do like the one, yeah, the one show in Mexico City. And it seems to be like we've had a really good response to it, to that from everyone that's from that way. So I think that might actually be a really good show, that one. Oh, I, I saw that today because I didn't see it. I didn't see it get announced. And I was just searching through for uh, the um, tour post. And then I went to the website and then it was on the website. And I thought, oh, Mexico City, man. Like, that's that's cool. Like, that's um, that that's the show. Like, and I mean, from, from my point of view and playing in the band, I saw Bloodstock and went, ah, oh, you bastards. You got it. That's awesome. <laughs> but but uh, Mexico City, that's a... That's a bucket list city to play. That's so cool. Oh, definitely. I mean, we're just trying to, like, I guess, slowly put our feet, you know, put in the door in these places. So, like, you know, you you weigh it up and you go, it's, like, what's, what's worthwhile um, to spend the money on? And you just kind of have to decide from there. Like, we would have been mad to, to give up bloodstock. But yes, it is annoying that that show was is like at the beginning of August mm. and everything else is at the beginning of July. So it is annoying, but it's like, man, well, how many times you might not get an opportunity like that again and you don't want to kind of throw those opportunities away because they can always open the doors to, to even bigger opportunities. So, That's it. It's like um, it's an investment, and it is. Yeah. It is. It's an investment, and same with Japan. Like, if we do really well there, you know, we'll, we've got a good chance of getting offered shows to go back again. Um, and if we do well in Mexico City, then that opens the door for doing a South American tour. Um, 
you know, so now at this stage it's like, um, you know, we started writing and we're hoping to, to release another album next year. Uh, and hopefully we can, you know, make it up to the Americans and, and do a, like a proper tour next year. Uh, over there, but it just depends what what comes your way, really. I mean, you just don't know what's gonna, you know, you, your booking agents and your managers and everything are all doing the feelers and trying to get things organised, but you just don't know what's going to come up. Just keep saving that money. Well, you 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 you, you just got to move with it, don't you? Like you, you can you can have all the plans in the world and go, oh, I want to do America next year, but then you know you might get offered some bullshit tour of Europe. Yeah, like well, it'd be stupid to to let that go. You just take the whatever the best opportunities are that come your way, um, and try not to have any regrets. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I think um, I think you guys have been ticking off a number of bucket list moments over the last few years, especially in the last few years. I mean, so many things that have been happening in for, for the band. It's just incredible. There's still like quite a few things that are that, that are on the horizon as well um, that I can't talk about. But oh, come on, um, it's just me, mate. <laughs> <laughs> just me and my uh, tape recorder or whatever. <laughs> What did I step back into the 80s? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> we'll run with it. <laughs> I sound like an ancient. Um, but no, I mean, there's, there's there's a couple of cool things that will be announced um, very soon. Cool. Um, and I'm very, very excited about what that's going to lead to um, with the future of the band. So, um yeah, I'm just excited. I want to get out there and try and play as many as many places as I can before it gets old. <laughs> While I'm still enjoying it and I'm not getting up and going, ugh, <laughs> well, too old for this shit. <laughs> well, you've, you guys have done so much already and... Yeah, I mean, if you're excited about what's coming up and you can't even talk about it yet, I I can't even begin to imagine what uh, what's on the horizon. So it's exciting to to watch the band like just get bigger and better. So it's it's pretty cool. Thanks, man. No, I'm yeah, I'm really stoked. Like I just pinch myself, um, you know, every day, and uh, I I don't take it for granted. That's for sure. Um, how lucky I am. I mean, you look at there's there's so many bands out there that don't get to do the things that we get to do. Um, and, yes, a lot of it's been hard work, but um, there's also a bit of, probably a bit of luck in there as well. <laughs> so I feel lucky, you know, like that, yeah, I've got an awesome band with awesome people and, and the people that we're working with as well, like behind the scenes, managers, booking agents, um, you know, we've got a really good team working with us now and it's, we've definitely seen a massive improvement in in what we're doing and uh you know we've grown fan base and and things like that so it's just kind of trying to get to the next the next step in that you know let's get more fans and play more places so you're forever trying to sort of build on that well i'm gonna let you go you can enjoy your friday afternoon i'm going to go and get a beer and uh yeah we'll chat soon 
very, very soon, I hope. Sounds good. I like it. All right, take care. Awesome. Take care, man. See ya. Thanks, everyone. Really hope you enjoyed that chat with Simone. And if you want to learn more about uh, Voyager or you want to reach out to Simone, you can do so via the show notes over at andysocial.net or you can search for Voyager and Simone on Facebook, uh, specifically for Simone on Instagram at Voyager Guitar Freak, Twitter at Voyager Sim, or you can go to voyager-australia.com. Heaps and heaps of links. I'm going to put all those links, videos, music, everything over in the show notes over at andysocial.net. So make sure you go over and check all that out. But that's it, guys. We're done for another week, another episode in the bag, another great guest. I've got so many guests coming up. Um, I am desperately trying to record all these episodes and batch record them and get them all out. But um, we're moving fast and, and the weeks and weeks are churning through. And it's just uh, t- 2018 is just absolutely incredible so far. And I'm really looking forward to seeing where the second half of this year goes. So stay tuned. Really appreciate the support. Keep liking, sharing, retweeting love harding all that crap and uh i'll look forward to talking more and chewing your ear off next week okay enough talking bye-bye larry larry please